So it's the 19th. Yesterday was Yom Kippur. I thought I would teach you more about that, but uh, some things happened while I was in Mexico that just changed my mind. And um, I don't think that it's unimportant. In fact, I'd like to turn your attention to Psalm 80. Uh, I want to show you a prayer uh, that comes out of Psalm 80 that I would like to invite you to pray in your, your private life, in your public life, wherever you want to commune with Jesus. And then we'll move on to our message. Uh, in Psalm 80, the Lord showed me this, and uh, I may preach it at some point here in the future. I just want you to hear this and perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us, and we will call on your name. Restore us, O Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. I want to encourage you to put a star by that in your Bible. I can't teach you more about Yom Kippur today because the Holy Ghost has put me in a different direction. But I want you to know that this is the goal. This is the goal for Israel. That Israel would see the man at God's right hand. That they would cry out for restoration. Now... In American Christianity, we tend not to think about Israel. We tend not to think about anybody other than ourselves. But God's plan begins and ends with Israel. And you need to pray for Israel. It'll change your heart as you do. You all ready to get into the message? Yes. Okay. So our message today is called Sleeping with the Enemy. I realize that that was a movie title. There is absolutely no connection as far as I know. That movie was a long, long time ago. I wanted to start with you in Romans 8. I felt this during our worship service. I felt it over the last few days uh, growing in me. And then everybody who spoke at uh, the meetings that I've been to spoke on topics just like these. Romans 8 starting in, uh, oh, I guess that's about the 15th verse. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. There is only one way to prove that you are a son of God. It is not by your creed. It is not by a deed alone. Lots of people can do good things. It is when the nature of God, the Spirit of God is in you, and hear this, His influence is strong enough as to be determined to be leading you. Not enough to simply have a conscience. Lost people have a conscience. Something of God in them that says this is wrong. Don't do it. But if you do not submit to that leading of God, you are not a son of God. To be a son of God, you must be led by His Spirit. With that in mind, what you heard today in our worship service with the altars filled with prophecy, with people stepping off of the worship stage, which, God, I hate that word, even that idea, worship stage. Are you kidding me? <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> Uh, we live here, I guess we have to do this. Platform. I don't even like the platform. I wish we could dig a big hole here. And if this concrete was not the hardest concrete on earth, I would do it. But we've already burrowed into it a couple times. Back on track. You saw in our worship service today, there is a need for the supernatural. If we don't have the supernatural in our church, then might as well just put gas pumps out there. Uh, maybe we could sell anointed prayer cloths or some other ridiculous gimmick just to extort people. The supernatural is what will make us be children of God. It's what determines that we're children of God. It's what causes us to live like it. For that reason, we're going to have an open pulpit policy on Wednesdays. Okay? I came to a lot of you personally, green-lighted you, and said, Hey, man, I want you to know. Now I'm telling all of you. If you're in the congregation, if you're in the faith, if you're in love with the Lord, then we need to ask ourselves a question. Do you have something to share? And if not, why not? Well, you know, I'm just, I'm not that kind of, I thought you were led by the Spirit of God. I thought you were a son of God. Well, I'm just not all that comfortable with Christianity. It's not about your comfort. Wednesdays will be open pulpits. Mike spoke this last Wednesday. Brandon speaks next Wednesday. And Wednesday after that, Mandy. You see how they're starting to line up? Better get in line. <laughs> not to check an item off your list, but because if your life has nothing to share, then whether I call it out or whether the Holy Ghost is calling out, it's selfish. Hmm? 
I don't want you to be selfish. I want you to learn to give and not only to receive. I want you to learn to pour out and not only pour in. So our church is going to follow an open pulpit Wednesday policy. And I'm going to drain you of every drop of anointing that you have. I want to tell you another reason. Matthew and I are looking for ways to truly delegate. Not delegate just in principle. Not just say, here brother, you can do this. I hope it satisfies you and we can check that off of our list. But I am still in control of everything. We're looking to truly delegate. We're looking to be able to take micro-sabbaths. In other words, while Mike sat and taught or stood and taught and I sat out there, it gives me an opportunity to be reminded God designed the world and I didn't. It gives me an opportunity to know that He speaks through me, but I'm not His only vessel. It gives me the opportunity to hear things that challenge me and grow. And I'm telling you, I have been doing this a long time. And I realize that their preachers have been preaching a lot longer than me. But I need some streams flowing into my life, not just out. And who better than you? Now, some pastors will go see a therapist. Other pastors will only hang out with other pastors. I think that if God is going to feed me, He's going to feed Matthew, He's going to do it through this community. That's what I think. I think this is the way it's designed, and the only thing that's ever gotten in the way of that is sinful pride. So we're throwing it out. Is that okay with you if we throw out sinful pride? So we want to learn to take true Sabbaths. Uh, I promise we are getting into a message here, but I'm just trying to describe a direction. I figure... If the pilot announces where the flight is destined to go and you're on the wrong flight, you'll get out. (laughs) If you're on the right flight, you'll be excited and maybe even stand up and be a stewardess or steward, you know, help the others get there. Uh, This is our goal. Our goal is to be a living, breathing, functioning community of God, not a ridiculous members-only social network, okay? You can do that at home on Facebook. You can go be, be part of somebody's Facebook church if you want to be. But in here... I'm expecting flesh and blood interaction. More than that, I'm expecting for spiritual union. I'm expecting that. Now, I realize we will always have a core. We will always have a crowd. We'll always have a congregation. There'll always be levels of intimacy with different people. But I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about you. It's time to be a part of the community. Share with other people your life. The more we do this, the more the whole body will be blessed. Turn with me to 1 Samuel. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 21. I'm not trying to, to work a retread here. We're not putting tread back on the, uh, the tire that Mike just scalded off. We're not trying to plow the same field twice. What it amounts to is that when my brothers teach, when my sisters teach, I listen. I want you to know that I never took notes at any time in my life until I became a head-over-heels radical-on-fire servant of Jesus. Now I find things in everything that someone is teaching that I just feel the need to want to know. To not just want to know that moment, but to want to know it the next day. To want to remember it a year from now. And most of what I share with you from this pulpit is something that I took the time to make sure since it came from the heaven by way of a flawed man that I wanted it because it was a gift to me. It was a jewel. Deuteronomy says the secret things belong to God. But what He has revealed belongs to man. Well, if you get a nugget out of a message and you don't write it down, it is like throwing away a jewel. Jesus said that a teacher of the law is like someone who is bringing out of his storeroom old and new treasure. I'm trying to give you treasure. People who stand up here are trying to give you treasure. I would encourage you to do yourself the service of no matter how flawed the human being is, and we're starting with this example, to find something that God is speaking in it. And if you can't, ask yourself, is the problem really with the person delivering the message, or is it with you? Isn't that a great place to start? We avoid responsibility at all terms. We would like to be raptured from it, if at all possible. 1 Samuel 21 is something that Mike began to share with us, and I could never share his message the way he did, so... What I'm going to do is share something that I gleaned out of it that I think is worth emphasizing. Uh, when I say Mike, Michael, we're, I'm talking about Mr. Hutchinson. Uh, when I speak about uh, my other brother Mike, then I'll make that very clear. But this message was the one, obviously the one that Mr. Hutchinson was speaking. In 1 Samuel 21, 
We know that David goes to Nob, but I would like to address your attention to the fourth verse so that we can make some observations. It says, But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. I want you to hear this. Ahimelech is speaking to David. David had asked for food. And Ahimelech says, I have no ordinary bread. To me, this is reminiscent of Paul saying, When I was with you, I purposed to know nothing except Christ and Him crucified. I don't have regular old shelved bread. What he does have is the bread of God's presence. I am not bringing to you the bread that comes from our intellect today. What I heard as Mike shared these things is I heard sharp contrast. And as usual, the Holy Ghost begins asking me questions. I begin feeling Him probing me, trying to direct my mind into certain places. And when I read 1 Samuel 21, the first contrast, sharp contrast, or choice between contrasts I see is natural bread and spiritual bread. But the priest answered, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. Now, I know Mike taught it, and I don't want to reteach it, but it is worth reminding you. The consecrated bread is called the bread of his face, Pawneum. It means that the priest had bread that came from being face to face with God. He had nourishment. Where is your nourishment coming from? Where is it coming from? There's another thing that happens here. And I think I probably don't need to read it all since I know all of you were either here Wednesday or talked to somebody who was and you got your notes, right? Because you are hungry for God. Because you know that it's only those that hunger and thirst for righteousness that are filled. You know that. You know it's not a birthright as an American. You already know these things, right? Yes. Good. We got one person that's awake in here. I appreciate that. <laughs> you remember what else he leaves with? He says, is there a sword? And Himelech says, yes. There's Goliath's sword. There's nothing like it. It's the one you took from him. There's one other man present here. Mike brought it out. His name was Doeg. He's a shepherd. I want to draw your attention to these contrasts. Ordinary bread or bread that comes from the presence of God. Here's another very obvious contrast. Sword or no sword. Then, how about this one? God's priest or your hired shepherd? I heard contrast in my brother's message, and I want to ask you the questions that I felt like the Holy Ghost asked me. What did you come here for? Natural or supernatural? What did you come here for? Do you want the bread of my intellect? Or do you want the bread that comes from being in the presence of God? Sword or no sword? How are you going to leave here today? Are you going to leave here today with ordinary bread, swordless? Are you going to leave here with supernatural edification from God and have a sword in your hand? See, what do you want out of this community? Isn't that a question worth asking? The enemy's shepherd who is a hireling cares nothing for the welfare of God's people. God's priest will lay down his life for you. What kind of pastors do you want? Well, I just feel so good when I hear this message. Really? Is that what's feeding you? Feeding self is helping you? Church, I love you very much, but as I begin to answer these questions, I want you to know I'm firmly committed to a direction that says I want the supernatural at all cost. I want to leave with a sword no matter what it costs me. I'm committed to a direction that says no matter what, I will never trade the truth of God for financial security. Are you hearing me? Yes. Where is your heart with these things? Because it's going to determine how far we'll walk together. And I'm willing to walk with many more or just two. <laughs> I don't stop being a pastor if there are no sheep. I learned that when I first got here. I don't stop being who God called me to be. This is our direction. I can see in some of your eyes you hunger for this direction. This is what we want. I got that from listening to Mike speak and the Holy Ghost working with me. What did you get from it? There's another great question. 
Isn't it wonderful that these are rhetorical and that you just get to sit there and stare at me? <laughs> How would you like to be on camera? Because God serves up things for us regularly. What are you doing with it? If not, why not? Huh? If not, why not? Michael gave us a Harriet Tubman quote that I'm telling you, I will never forget it. I mean, not unless some demonic Alzheimer's comes on me or something. And then I'm going to trust that you'll pray for me to get healed. She said, I freed thousands of slaves. And I could have freed thousands more if only they had known they were slaves. Slavery is an ugly word. But I need to give you a few marks of a Christian slave trade that is going on called the social gospel. I'm not talking about everyone else. I'm talking about right here in our midst, this tendency. The first mark. Please, if you have a pen, write it. We meet, but there is only ordinary bread served from the minds of men. This is the first mark of slavery. Keep your spirit weak. Second, we leave the meetings without swords and never truly declare war on the enemy. Friends, if you were entrenched in battle with the enemy and you knew it, you would not accept teaching. You would not accept a worship service. You would not accept simply enduring an apathy. You would fight to get what you needed to survive for that week. The reason the church has hireling pastors is because they are not engaged with the enemy and they feel no urging for an arms race. I'm in an arms race with the devil. He finds new and inventive tactics with me all of the time. There are always new angles that he's presenting to me and I am in an arms race with him. I am mining the Word of God looking for something to hide in my heart to keep my way pure. I'm looking for weapons of righteousness in my right hand, in my left. I am in an arms race. What are you in? See, this is not the job of Pastors, prophets, teachers, pastors, and evangelists simply to be in an arms race is the job of every Christian. How many of you know what Ephesians 6.10 says? Of course you do. If you don't, the guy sitting next to you does. I shouldn't have to tell you. How equipped are you? Third reason, third mark of the Christian slave trade in our midst. We love hirings because they make us feel good about being slaves. Is this sin, Pastor? <laughs> well, you know, it's not God's best for you. Right. Is this sin? Well, it's not God's best. They make us feel good about being slaves. If you think I'm being hard on pastors, of which I am one, we've put up with it. We've allowed it. We've begged for it. Our itching ears have craved it. Just tell me what I want to hear and do it in a way that pacifies my conscience. We've built million and million and multi-million dollar facilities around the concept of make me feel good about myself while people starve six hours drive from us and 60 minute drive downtown. And we don't care. Just make me feel good about myself. The fruit that this slavery has borne is a subtle perversion of the truth into a more palatable lie. I want you to hear this, Christians. The devil is subtle. He does not show up and just tell you, Jesus is not Lord. That doesn't work because you know that Jesus is Lord. So instead what he does is he takes something that is true and he magnifies it way out of proportion and minimizes the greater truth. You heard this in Jesus' teaching with the Pharisees. Straining at a gnat, swallowing a camel. It's not that they weren't both unclean. They were. But their emphasis was wrong. And this kind of slavery has done the same thing to us. Listen to this. Christianity is no longer a way of living. It is a legal transaction. You see, His blood was legally applied. Is that true? Of course it's true that it's a legal transaction. But is that all it is? You hear this expressed in, yeah, no, 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 I'm good. I was saved. I was baptized. Yeah, but you still live like a devil. No, I go to church. I know. There's a bunch of devils in the church. <laughs> Here's the second fruit that I saw in it. 
the crucifixion has become something that was done for us. Is that true? Of course. The crucifixion was done for us. But it ignores the fact that the crucifixion is supposed to occur in us. The gospel is no longer a way of life. It is simply a transaction. The cross is no longer something that you are being crucified with, with Christ. It was simply done for you. In other words, because some poor idiot did for me what I couldn't do for myself one time back in history, bam, I got my paycheck. That's what it feels like. No, nobody would ever say that, but when you come up with ridiculous doctrines that say things like, you have a blank check to send, but if you're in Christ, you won't want to use it. That is the most demonic, ridiculous, damning thing I've ever heard. When you write books with chairs on the cover of can the Lord be Lord of part of you or only uh, Lord of all of you or these questions come from a corrupt church. So I don't even know about that book. I bet you know about the other ones the same man wrote. Because they're bestsellers. And you know why they're bestsellers? Because we want it. We want it. Make me feel good. Tell me I, I can sin. Tell me that God is not a consuming, raging, jealous fire that wants every area of my life. In fact, could you just boil it down to the minimum for me, but make me feel good about doing the least possible? Could you do that? This is the church. At least the church building. But I feel a ground swelling happening. I feel something happening everywhere. It is no longer a few crazy preachers that I'm hearing say these things. I am watching it grow. Our king is calling his bride. There's one more denigration that you need to know about. Our eternal life that Jesus came to give us has become something that happens later rather than now. Well, you know, this whole world is just miserable, but by the grace of God, one day we'll be in his kingdom. That is not the gospel message. It is such a degraded, devilish perversion of the truth. Jesus came to give you abundant life, eternal life, right now. The kingdom is at hand. So let's put that back together for you just for fun. If you're only eating from the minds of men, if you're leaving meetings without swords and at war with no one, if you're hiring people to make you feel good about your situation, if your Christianity is no longer a way of life but simply a transaction in the past, if crucifixion is something done for you but never done in you, if your hope is something that happens later, what are you? Well, you're a slave hoping for something better one day. That's all you are. Moses has never come. Jesus never came. That's, that's what Christianity has been reduced to. And you tell me I'm wrong. You're right. You tell me I'm wrong. How many days have we... If you sin, friends, if sin is living in you, you're a slave to it. You have to count yourself dead to it and alive to Christ. Your obligation has to be to Him. This is the gospel. I'm looking for a supernatural renewal. But to have the supernatural renewal, I think we have to clearly understand... What's happened? I think you have to clearly look at, oh my God, we're overrun. How did it get this way? Turn with me to 1 Kings. There. there. You'll be in 1 Kings 20. There. There. Those guys are fast. There. I have any idea what time we started? I love, that's a fantastic answer. I love y'all. My wife scolded me. I want you to notice I'm taking serious efforts to not be quite as intense, even though I'm obviously very passionate about this. My wife sat me down the other day and she said, Eric, I think you were going to burn them up with your intensity. I said, these are serious things, Jennifer. And before I knew it, I was preaching at her. It is serious and the time is short, but it doesn't mean I have to become a yeller. I'm sorry. But I'm not sorry for the passionate zeal. You know why? It is the only thing that keeps me from becoming exactly what we're preaching against. Kings 20. 
1 Kings 20. Now Ben-Hadad, a king of Aram, mustered his entire army, accompanied by 32 kings with their horses and chariots. He went up and besieged Samaria and attacked it. He sent messengers into the city to Ahab, king of Israel, saying, this is what Ben-Hadad says, your silver and gold are mine. The best of your wives and children are mine. I, I, I took particular just humor in this. I'm sorry, maybe I should just take a break to, to laugh with you for a second. I kind of picture somebody standing at the gate going, the best of my wives. You can have three of the ugliest, but not the prettiest. You know, I mean, what does it mean, the best of your wives? <laughs> Obviously, he's speaking to the whole city, and I get that. But it is kind of a strange request. You know, you, you, you got to picture a foreign general coming. This one I want. This one I want. This one I want. This one not so much. Uh, you can keep this one. <laughs> I mean, how, how does that work? <laughs> what an audacious request. Your silver, your gold, your wives, and your children. Anything else you'd like? I mean, while we're at it, you know, you would like me to lasso the moon for you? <laughs> he says they are mine. In other words, he's laying claim to something that doesn't belong to him. The king of Israel answered, Just as you say, my Lord, I and all I have are yours. Do you see some serious lordship issues going on here? It's the same lordship issues going on in the church. The man is called a king of Israel, but is he acting like a king of Israel? He probably wears a crown like a king of Israel. But is he ruling like a king of Israel? He probably wears royal robes like a king of Israel, but are his righteous actions his royal robes? No. He has lordship issues. He is called the, the king of Israel and the Malakalam king of the universe put him there. Allowed him to be there. But he's not acting like it. In fact, he is ready to surrender his money, his children, and the best of the wives. Not the ugly ones, the pretty ones. Without a shot being fired without a sword being pulled, without an arrow being shot. Does that strike anybody as strange? You know what else is pretty strange? Not only has he conceded before the enemy even gets there, supernatural deliverance has never crossed his mind. You could understand he could look out and see 33 kings amassed against him and be scared. But what kind of condition do you have to get into when Supernatural deliverance never even crosses your mind. I have no idea what's spent in the medical field. But could we all agree it's billions and billions of dollars? And they've never been able to keep anybody from dying. 100% of human beings are dying. Investing billions of dollars and trying to keep you alive and how successful are you. And supernatural deliverance never crosses the minds of the average American Christian. We don't even bring them to the front to pray because we don't want to embarrass anybody. The supernatural has been reasoned right out of our churches. He said, no, 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 we're a charismatic church. We're a Pentecostal church. What else are we called? We're a full gospel church. What else are we called? Charismatic zoo. I don't know what people call us. But whatever it is, we say, no, 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 we're different. Really? And yet our first reaction is always to lean on our own arm first. Can our healing be bought? Can our financial woes be borrowed out of? Supernatural deliverance has stopped crossing our minds. So often, we wear all of the garments of the Christian. But our behavior shows we have lordship issues. Do you hear me? Lordship issues. We've got it so fouled up. I almost used that word that is a cylinder with an inclined plane wrapped around it. You know? We've got it so messed up. 
that we want to say, if you just say Jesus is Lord, that's enough. Mm. Really? So if you're speaking a lie when you say it, that's enough? And whole denominations of people believe it. Oh, I've confessed with my mouth, he's Lord. That's what Romans says, so he's Lord. Read the rest of the book. Read the rest of the book. No, that would be requiring too much of us. My pastor, he studied Romans. I'm sure he'll tell me what it means. And where did he learn it? Oh, he learned it from the academics who studied it, and they told him what it means. And where did they learn it? From other academics. Who is eating of the bread of his face? This is like looking at the U.S. Congress and being upset with the people, and then you realize everyone I'm a lawyer. They're all lawyers. There are no politicians that are not lawyers. And you wonder why our laws are as messed up as they are and their manipulations of the truth. Well, when you look around and the men of God that are leading us never been before the face of God. But let's not talk about them. How about you? How are you making your decisions? Let's pick up in the fifth verse. The messengers came again and said, This is what Ben-Hadad says. I sent to demand your silver and gold, your wives and children. But about this time tomorrow, I'm going to send my officials to search your palace and the houses of your officials. They will seize, what's that word? Everything you value and carried away. He's willing to give up his silver and gold. He's willing to give up children and the best of his wives. He can keep the ugly ones. But that is not enough. His appeasement has not stopped the enemy. His appeasement of conceding to every request without even a thought of deliverance has not stopped the enemy. What has it done? Appeasement encourages the aggressor. Is there nobody that remembers World War II in here? Appeasement encourages an aggressor. You cannot play nice with areas of sin in your life. It only encourages the enemy to take from you everything. Friends, what do you have if he's taken from you everything? Oh, it's a math equation. Nothing. Nothing. You know how many people's lives are full of stuff that the enemy has taken from them. Everything. Sir, do your children love you? I don't speak with them. Does your wife respect you? Well, I had a wife that respected me once, but number six does not. Do your friends love you for what you can do for them, or do they just love you? I never really stopped to think about it. Taken from them. Everything. Everything. And yet they can seem to possess death. There's a book in the church of uh, there is a church in the book of Revelation described a lot like that, huh? But it must be some other church. Oppression starts on the outside. Listen to this, it's worth hearing. Oppression starts on the outside at a tolerable different distance. It starts at some level where it really doesn't bother you a whole lot. It's not too intrusive. But it never stays there. It never stays there. Sin and oppression will never stay where it's at. It will always take more. This king only realized he was in trouble in the face of the personal loss of everything. Come take everything from the sheep. He doesn't care. He's a hireling. But when it costs him his ministry, now he cares. Come on, have we not seen this play out over and over and over and over? We have a problem. We have powerful weaklings as leaders. We've accepted Saul, who will not go fight Goliath, and we've laughed at David, who would, but doesn't look good. We've accepted Ahab, who the most influential figure in his life is either the king of a foreign nation or his wicked wife. We've accepted these things, and we can't. Looked like a king lived in a palace, wore a crown. But this next line is pretty amazing. When he sent for my wives and my children, my silver and my gold, I did not refuse him. I should have read you verse 7 too. Why don't we do that? The king of Israel summoned all the elders of the land and said to them, see how this man is looking for trouble? He wasn't looking for trouble before? Well, he was looking for a tolerable level of trouble. 
I want to ask you, saints. I know I'm asking a lot of questions. I hope that's what you're writing down. I'm not playing tic-tac-toe or something. <laughs> I want to ask you a question. How much trouble do you want to tolerate? How much of this garbage do you want to put up with? How narrow is your way? They meet, they talk, they decide they should fight. Look at verse 13. Meanwhile, a prophet came to Ahab, king of Israel, and announced, This is what the Lord says. Do you see this vast army? I give it into your hand today. Then you will know that I am the Lord. What does that say about before? He didn't know before. King of Israel didn't know the Lord. I bet he had a degree that said he was the king. Printed out of his own printing press, I'm sure. I read a man's Facebook page the other day that I've known for many years. Yes, as much as I pick on Facebook occasionally, I do go on it. This guy's one of the more destructive forces I've ever seen in any church. Crippled and crippling others. It's always been that way. Never humbled himself and got baptized, but been an elder in many churches. And everywhere he goes, same story. Initial success, blending, building community, excitement, followed by destruction and sheep with bloody teeth. The second attribute he listed about himself was seminary ordained. Wasn't enough just to say ordained. Wasn't enough to say seminary. He's trying to draw a distinction. When I see this kind of distinction, there's nothing wrong with seminary. In fact, I've approached some of you that have uh, excellent, beautiful educations. I've asked for your help in areas that I need it. But this distinction to me looks an awful lot like Saul and, Saul and David. David had no armor. He had none of those things, but he was willing to go to war. Saul had all of those things, and for 40 days, he sat on his hands while Israel suffered. What kind of pastor do you want? What kind of man of God do you want to be? A lot of questions today. But who will do this? The question that the king is asking the prophet, who will go to war? When I read this, I was so struck with the movement that's going on in the church. The movement going on in the church is that we're recognizing all of these problems. And yet, just like Ahab, we're still sitting around saying, who's going to do something about it? How many are wrong? How many know that it's wrong to water down the gospel in here? How many in here know that it's wrong to just want your best life now and not care about Christ perfected in you? How many in here know that it is wrong to eliminate the supernatural in form of a business? Amen. All of you know it! But who will go to war? What a great question. What a great question. No, let's just, let's be nice. Let's get along. I mean, they're good people too. You know, they preach out of the same Bible we did. I hear all of those things. I hear it all of the time. The reaction when people first come here is always the same. We're a bunch of crazy fanatic radicals. Most just leave. After they've been here for a little while, something else has got them, though. God's tackle box has gotten hold of them. They see fruit of the Spirit they haven't seen anywhere else. And before long, if they're sufficiently circumcised in the heart, God is beginning to show them that, yes, it doesn't look like a king, but he acts like one. I'm not speaking about me. I'm speaking about the church. I'm talking about David. I'm talking about the body of Christ. What are we going to do about it? See, God's declared a victory. He's declared the end from the beginning. But the question still remains. Okay, Lord, who's going to do it? But who will do this, asked Ahab. The prophet replied, This is what the Lord says. The young officers of the provincial, provincial, provincial commanders will do it. In other words, princes. Not a princess. Big distinction people that had been given measures of authority but were still young. Why? Why do we need people who have authority but are young? They have not learned the compromising ways yet. They haven't learned to make peace with the enemy 
without firing a shot. They haven't learned to sell out their brothers for financial security. Any revival that's ever happened historically happened with young people. New wineskins. Said, well, I don't feel all that young, Eric. What you're saying kind of steps on me. You can be as young as you want to be. We're not speaking about an age here. We're speaking about a flexibility in your heart. How set are you in your programs? How set are you in your ways of doing things? If next week we walk in and this pulpit's hanging from the ceiling in the back and we're preaching standing under that picture, would that so unnerve you that you couldn't, you couldn't hardly endure it? You understand what I mean about set in our ways? How many things are in our life that we have no idea why we do it? We just, we just do it because. Okay, well, let's ask that question in a different way. How many things used to be like that in your life that now you can't believe that you ever did those stupid things? Well, friends, I think there's still some undiscovered territory that we could dig up if we wanted to. It was young men that carried out the bodies of Ananias and Sapphira. In 1 John, it is young men who are said, 1 John 2, to overcome the evil one. Young men are declared to be strong. You know what's very interesting about this? Do you remember what Ben-Hadad came and told Ahab he was going to take? I'm going to take your money. I'm going to take your children and your wives. God will take the very thing that the world would throw away. He'll change the world with it. Think about the disciples. They're the rejects. They're the throwaways. God will take what the world is more than willing to concede just to give up, to give over to the enemy without a thought. He will take that and make victory happen. We've heard those kind of messages before. But the question is, who will go to battle? Are we giving away the spontaneity of the spirit and compromise? Are young men, in other words, new wineskins? You know what's really beautiful about a truly young, naive man? And I'm speaking this as kindly as I can. <coughs> they don't sit around and count the cost of obedience because they have nothing to lose. You know, they got some lint in their pocket. They have no reputation yet. They have nothing to lose. This is why you send young men to battle. This is why young men can be used for it. But let me ask you something. <clears throat> Should you have anything to lose? Matthew 13, 44 says that it is like uh, the kingdom of God is like a merchant who sees a pearl in a field. He goes back, he sells everything he has just to obtain it. What a great question then. If you still have something to lose, maybe you didn't sell everything. And if you didn't sell everything, wow, can you follow that linear reasoning? If you still have something, you didn't sell everything. And if you didn't sell everything, what don't you have? The pearl. Oh, you might look like you have it. Probably a football instead of a pearl. Bowling ball. You put something else in the box and you called it a pearl, but it's not a pearl. See, when the question is, how worldly can I be and still be saved? You don't have the purpose. When the question is, can I still do this and be saved? You don't have the pearl. And this is coming from the pastor of freedoms. You know me. But the question has never been for me. Can I keep doing something that I think you don't want me to do and you still be Lord? I don't have that lordship issue. Because when he came for me, he got me. I'll tell you, there are moments in my life where I run out of his hand. He'll spank me for doing it, just like I would spank my kids for running out in the street. But he's got me. Cody was quoting somebody. He said, but when you've been God, you know you've been God. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know you've been God, maybe he didn't get you. <laughs> has a certain Romans 7 feel to it <laughs> if you still have something to lose you didn't sell everything if you didn't sell everything you don't have the pearl 
Ahab, Saul, and weak pastors are condemning people to slavery. Who will start the battle? Mike taught on the battlefield of the mind. Not enough to sit and think about it. Unless that thinking produces a trust in God, and that trust in God produces an action, and the faith in the action produces life. Then it's enough. I want to share one more thing with you. Is that okay? Yes. I actually have about three more messages here. Turn with me to Luke 13. That seems like the most appropriate thing to do. You ever been to a nice steakhouse? Who in here has been to a nice steakhouse? Yes. You ever done something kind of obscene at a nice steakhouse? Maybe it was your boss's expense account. I don't know. Don't tell if it was. And you ordered one filet mignon, but it was so good, you ordered a second? Yeah, I have done that. <laughs> when I go with Cody, we just order the porterhouse. That way you get, you get this nice T-bone with a filet stuck to the side of it. The waiter said, whoa. I don't think I ever saw anybody put that whole thing down. <laughs> I kind of feel like I've already given you a steak today. But all I can say is I've not quite hit my prime. I still feel like I have something left that I could give. And I could sandbag this. I could just say, you know, that would mean I don't have to study all week. I could probably break up this next part into about four messages and just call it a series. <laughs> then I could play more golf, right? I mean, isn't that what a pastor's called to do? I mean, judging by their actions, isn't that what a pastor's called to do? Ignore your phone calls and play golf? Luke 13. I read this in the truck on the way to Mexico, and uh, I don't know, you know, I mean, it's like I never read it before. Okay, I, I mean, pretty sure I read it before, but when you've been got, you know it. Luke 13, verse 1. Now there were some... Jen, is this, is this intensity level okay? Because I'm fighting the urge to really crank it up here. Crank it? Come on. Now there, <laughs> now there were some present at the time, who told Jesus, uh, we're not in 13.1, we need to be in 13.10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. Amazing thing that the Jewish king, the Jewish rabbi would teach in a Jewish synagogue. I guess he couldn't find a Catholic church. <laughs> on a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for... 18 years. 18 years. And where did he find her? She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. Are you kidding me? Bent over, cannot straighten up, been in the, look at the little quotes that you can't see on the tape, church, for 18 years. I've always thought something was interesting. In the trade that, uh, that I have been in, and we'll see how much longer we'll be in it, but in the trade that I've been in, there's, there's a real debate because physical therapists focus on something. They focus on making an adjustment to you, but also strengthening the musculature, teaching you how to maintain that. They're often juxtaposed to chiropractors because chiropractors will pop you right into place. We like to call it snap, crackle, pop in the business that I've been in. And tell you to come back next week. Okay, do you understand the difference in philosophy here? One says, let me teach you to get as good as you can get for the rest of your life. And the other says, I would like to put you on a monthly installment program. How easy is it to see something like that? But let me ask you, if you've been going to church for 18 years and you're still bent over with the same crippled spirit, are you just on an installment program? Are you getting set free so you can be as best as you can be? I know that's not good English, but it's how I like to say it, so we just have to deal with it. Could say asbestos as you want to be. Not asbestos, asbestos. <laughs> Think about this though, saints. 18 years. Okay, well, hear me. 
You didn't hear this. Eric's infirmity. Luke tells us why it's there, though. It's an infirmity caused by, what was it? A spirit. Am I wrong? Am I reading it in the text? Am I wrong? Are you just scared to talk to me? Crippled by a spirit. So who else has been going to that church, assembly of believers, for 18 years? That's right, the devil goes to church too. I never saw that before. I mean, I read it, but I never saw it before. I see it. On Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. At all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward. What is Jesus calling you forward for? He's Jesus. Certainly could do it sitting where she was. Certainly could do it for her. But sometimes he just wants you to step out. As Americans, we don't like that. We're the most individualistic people on the planet. But when it comes time to have to stand alone for anything, suddenly our red, white, and blue is more yellowish. Isn't that an amazing thing? We're Americans. Every head bowed, every eye closed, with a pinky raised. Doesn't sound like the people that saved the world to me. Might be people that are scared the world notices them. Woman, you are... I'd just like to say it like that, too. Woman. Woman! Look, Jim's looking at Woman. You are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. When you've got the pearl, you know it. Because it straightens out your life. Immediately praise for your God comes out of your lips instead of bemoaning your circumstances. One preacher I heard just the other night said either Jesus is a liar or His people are not his people. Because Jesus said, I came to give you life and life to the fullest or life to the most or life most abundantly. And you listen to Christians talk and it doesn't sound like the abundant life. So he's a liar or they're not his people. Both can't coexist. Maybe, uh, maybe we ought to just move forward here a bit. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. My God, could you, uh, could you take note for this for a minute? Indignant. What is that? What is indignation? This is kind of a seething, burning anger. Furious. Furious why? Because the healing was on a Sabbath. So here comes the doctrinal statement. There are six days for work. So come and be healed on one of those days. Not on the Sabbath. Now if you're tempted to think, well those bad Jews... Let's just picture a little different setting here. We've got an organ over there, a piano over there. Sister Better Than You is somewhere over here. The six-foot-tall icicle is up here. they got all the money in the world. They're only getting it from 10% of their church because only 10% is interested enough in God to, to tithe. But still, because they attract the masses, they've got all the money in the world. It's that time. We've just got through singing, bringing in the sheaves and just as I am. Now you're in the congregation and you have a burning word from God. You are, you are certain that His Spirit is upon you and you just can't help but speak. Indignation. We don't do that here. Indignation. In the Spirit-filled churches, we've gotten so bad that the Holy Ghost has to ask the pastor's permission to move on someone else. Amen. Spirit-filled churches, really? Why don't we just call it a Spirit-filled man church? indignant that his program wasn't being followed. Programs not being followed. Oh my God, what would we do if the program was not followed? I want you to hear me. Our church is going through a little bit of a metamorphosis here. We go to a men's meeting and I have no program. Not because I'm holy, not because I'm super spiritual, not because I was tired. 
that good enough reason? But the Holy Ghost did have a program. We went to Mexico here just the other day with no building project. What are we going to do? I mean, we don't have a task. We don't have an itinerary. We don't know what. The Holy Ghost had a program. People still got fed. Good things still happen. But we got fed too. I began to talk to the other pastors. One in San Fernando. One in Reynosa. Areas that are really hit hard in Mexico. And you know what they're learning? They're supernatural or there's nothing. Our programs won't draw people if there's machine guns outside the church. Our people won't come. They won't do what they're supposed to do if there is no supernatural. It is supernatural or it is nothing. Come on, church. That's a word. It's supernatural or it's nothing. Too long we've been indignant when it didn't fit neatly into our box. to the point that we're as concerned about that clock in the back of the room, starting, ending. In fact, while you've been sitting here, could you answer a question honestly? Don't do this out loud. Answer it for yourself. I've been preaching now for something like 55 minutes. And while we've been sitting here, has your mind drifted to something that happened yesterday? Has your mind drifted forward to something you have to do later today? Kind of like we're never actually there, huh? Kind of like God never even has all of our attention, much less all of our life. So I, I just can't help it. No, you can. You're just out of practice. We have no time set aside to think about nothing but Him. We have no time to consider what He wants. We've replaced it with programs. Programs. How many of your cell phones are on right now? I mean, because you could be an emergency. God never gets all of us. Never. Like he deserves all of us. He is the pearl that it is worth selling. Everything for. And we can't even have an honest prayer time that is not crammed between meetings. We can't go to a worship service and turn off our cell phones. We can't set aside a day. The best we're going to do is set aside the hours of 10 to 12. You'd be furious if it doesn't fit in the block because, I mean, you got stuff to do. What do you got to do? i got to eat. i feed my flesh some more. What else you got to do? Well, God's, God's called me to do stuff. And yet, Jesus honored a Sabbath in a very profound way every day of his life and his ministry was only three years and he changed the whole world. If Jesus had only been as busy as you. But the stuff I have to do is important. Look how that argument begins to break down, huh? Jesus' stuff was just not all that important. But you don't understand the people I have to work with. Are you tracking here? Could Jesus have to work with when I'm with the apple? <laughs> you don't know the opposition I face. What kind of opposition did he face? Friends, I, I'm, I'm convinced that programs ought to be replaced with what they actually are. Prisons. They're just prisons. Because this woman has been in her own personal hell for 18 years and it didn't do a thing for her. How many times I look at somebody as a pastor, it's usually in a hospital bed or outside of a funeral. And I say, if you just serve God with all your heart, he can, he can do. And they respond with, I've been in church all my life. Mm. No, you haven't. You've been in a prison. Mm -hmm. They preach from the same Bible you do. Really? Bread looks like bread. But some of it comes from the face of God and some doesn't. Amen. What do you want? I asked you a lot of questions today. I mean a lot of questions. It's a very <coughs> Jewish thing to ask questions. Do you love him enough to spend some time contemplating him? Or does it quickly get shuffled behind everything else that you have to go do?
And then we wonder why there's no revival. There's no move of God. There is nothing but a ceiling between us and God and the walls between us and our neighbor. Do we have lordship issues, church? Isn't that a good question? Do we have lordship issues? I believe that Brandon will teach you something about a covering. I don't know how much of that he'll teach. I had intended for my message to dovetail with Mike's and intended for it to dovetail with Brandon's, but I don't even have to try to do that. The Holy Ghost will do that. Here's one last thing for you to write down. It's the word shalom. Spell it out. S-H-A-L-O-M. Shalom. It's different than peace. Peace is the absence of hostility. Shalom is the absolute perfect flow of God's authority. So Matthew has come up with an acrostic for you. He did this while driving about 90 miles an hour and trying to light a cigar. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It was 80 miles an hour. Listen, this is important. You, You want it, I promise. It's great to know the definition that I gave you of shalom. That's a good thing. That sets you heads and tails above lots right there. But if you want to know how you get Shalom, setting Him as Lord of me. Setting Him as Lord of me. We can talk about peace. We can talk about um, peace like a river that flows, all of those things. If He's not Lord of you, you're a liar. He's not there. Say you sold everything, but you possess no pearl. Setting him as Lord of me. We're going to close here. But do you remember a woman in Luke 8 who had a little problem with bleeding? Brandon will teach you a lot more about this cover. But it occurred to me that last time we were all together, there was a prophecy that came forth out of Isaiah 4 about seven women who would be cleansed from their cleanliness, that the Lord would be a covering over them. I thought, wow, I wonder if that woman in Luke 8 had that in mind. And I began to dig into it a little more. You know what it means to be in Shalom, to have him set as Lord of you? It means he's in control of every aspect of your life. The woman in Luke 8, 8.43, had a horrible problem. She'd been to everybody to help her, not unlike the woman that we just read about in Luke 13. But when she got to Jesus, she grabbed the corner of his garment. It's a very Jewish way to say, I want to come under your authority. And then what Isaiah 4 said was true. The Lord becomes a covering or a canopy over her. And her disgrace is removed. I think the real supernatural word for the church today is come under the covering of Jesus. Learn what shalom really is. I ask you again, do you have lordship issues? Let me clarify this for you. Does your life look right now, this moment, like God said it should look? Because although people will tell you it's just not God's best for you, the Bible defines that sin. The degree to which your life does not look like in practice what it's supposed to look like in purpose. Sin. Lordship issues. Are you in the body of Christ but you're bent over? You're in the body of Christ but you're crippled? You're in the body of Christ but you're hemorrhaging? Come under his glory. William Seymour used to preach like this. And one eye was uneducated. Bible teachers in his day would not even let him sit in the classroom with them. He heard the voice of Jesus speaking words like this one. 
want supernatural bread? Or do you just want natural bread? These are questions that I'm going to leave you with. I don't know what we'll teach on next week. I thought I was going to teach on that prayer shawl. But you won't come under the covering if you don't know you need to. You won't if you don't know you're don't already know you're not there. Stayed with a friend when I was about Judah's age, and his mama said, Do not get in the pool. We waited for her to leave. We put our feet in the pool. Mama comes home and says, Did you get in the pool? Nope, but our feet did. <laughs> this is the ridiculous game that we're playing. Are you under his covering? Yep, but my feet aren't. Yep, but my finances aren't. Yep. The gospel is not about saying aha uh -huh, in a certain strategic place. The gospel is a way of life. It's an all-consuming passion, or it is not the gospel. Stand to your feet. I want to tell you this as you are on your feet. How many slaves were in the synagogue that day? You have pity for the woman that was set free because she had been that way 18 years, but at least she got free. I pity the man that stood there as the ruler of the synagogue and left as a slave that day. At least the woman recognized her condition and got free. The man who was running the whole ship control of all of the programs was every bit as much slave as her and didn't know it. Last question. Which slave are you? Sad it is when we don't recognize our own condition. Let's pray. Mighty God, Lord, we ask for an eye-opening revelation. We don't deserve it, Lord God, but we need it. We are the Canaanite woman, the Syrophoenician woman. We don't deserve the bread that comes from your table, but we need it. Lord, I recognize my condition is that of a dog. If I can eat a crumb from you, Lord, if I can just get to a crumb. Lord, we're clinging to you in trust. At least some of us are. Maybe even most. We ask that you would look upon us with favor. That you would favor us enough to discipline us as your children. That you would favor us enough to move by your spirit for something other than the church's parlor tricks. Lord, we want the authentic, real thing here this morning. We love you, Lord. This is our confession. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.